Welcome in, everybody, to the Please Stay Inside podcast. My name is Rob. This is episode number 12. We are joined today by Joshua Turhune. He is an, uh, a licensed mental health counselor. Uh, you can find his information on joshuaturhunecounseling.com, last name spelled T-E-R-H-U-N-E. Joshua, welcome on. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. So, I guess first and foremost, just generally tell us a little bit about yourself. What is it that you do, uh, and what is it that you do uh, on social media? Yeah, so I've been a therapist for the past, what year is it, 2000 years? Yeah, over a decade, I think, 11, going on 12 years now. Been in the field of trauma for the past 14 years. Mm. Um, I started a, I, I moved from a group practice I left my group practice in January and started my own practice, and part of that involved social media. So I started that mm-hmm. in late January, um, and that has been a, a very interesting time in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, yeah, and so I've just been making some TikTok videos for the past two months, and that's been a lot of fun, very interesting. Um, so yeah, so I I work with mainly kids mainly trauma. I work with some teens. I work with some families. I work with some adults as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so a lot of the content I do is centered around those things and just kind of my life too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Out of curiosity. So um, I I guess I I would love to, I guess, talk a little bit. Um, We'll we'll, I think get to a good bit of the timeline, but um, what is it that I guess pushed you to move from, from the group practice to, to private practice? So, uh, I guess the best way I can say that is I, I was with this group for seven years and we were going, we, we were going in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, the owner was getting kind of burnt out from, from the pandemic and just having a group practice for over 10 years and, um, sold it to company that doesn't align with my values. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I talked with other colleagues that had left and got the courage to to push out on my own and here i am wow that's, that's amazing i mean what is that what was that decision making process like Cause, i mean i imagine you know it's it's difficult leaving something that you know that you've been used to around colleagues that you know you know that you've learned from everything like that what was that like for you uh, that, that was very, very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very much like a group person. Mm-hmm. I, frankly, I don't really consider myself like a leader. Like I'm usually like hanging in the background mm-hmm. and doing my thing. Like I just thought I was going to be with this group for forever, really. Things changed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I talked with a lot of different colleagues, just getting their perspective and everyone everyone one after another were like this was the best decision that i ever made i wish i did this sooner it's a lot easier than Mm. you think it is and so i was like okay well yeah you know the adventure is calling me absolutely yeah you went for it (laughs) that's awesome love that so going back i guess even further what is it that i guess initially sparked your interest in therapy like were you interested in psychology previously like what is it that that eventually got you there yeah yeah, so uh, when I was a teenager, I had a depressive episode and saw my own therapist. And after that, when it was time to look towards colleges, like, 
I wanted to figure out why people do what they do. And I was like, well, I guess that's psychology. So yeah. then I, I went to, uh, so my dad is, is a disabled veteran. So I was able to go to a public school, public university in my state for free. So I was able to do that. I went to Ball State, did psychology, and there was a class, I think it was like counseling psychology, like I think like 320, where it's a Tuesday, Thursday course where you, Tuesday, like you learn like a therapy skill, and then Thursday you go to the practicum clinic mm -hmm. and you practice that skill and you're able to get feedback and stuff. And I did that class that I like, I fell in love. Like during that class, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And mm -hmm. it's been history since then. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know, I, I think going into the initial, um, the initial practicing these therapeutic methods, all that kind of stuff, um, I think honestly, that's one of the points where uh, I had most of like the flip-flopping going on where like you have those moments where things go really well and you're like, I, I, I could really see myself doing this. And then the times where you yeah. fall flat and it's like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing oh, yeah. here. Yeah. 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 Especially like starting out, it felt like drink, trying to drink water out of a fire hose. Yeah. Like, it was just, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's it fair. Was a lot. Uh, yeah. did you, did you ever consider like a different route, like research, anything like that? No, no, I, that's a good question. No, I, I never, like, I, I plan on doing this for the rest of my life. And I've, yeah. I've had that feeling ever since grad school. Like, it's mm -hmm. like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, yeah. I just absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I hear you. I'm a uh, very similar boat. Like, I know we, we talk about, you nice. know, rest of life things and you know i know sometimes like my friends will talk about like retirement plans and all that even though we're nowhere close to that um and i honestly <laughs> yeah. i i kind of see myself in a similar spot like i just i would love to just continue doing this and you know yeah just going the rest yeah. of my life doing this kind of thing yeah right until the wheels fall off exactly exactly oh uh, so Within the work that you do, because I know you mentioned that you work a lot with a lot with kids, you have some adolescents as well. Um, had you always wanted to work with kids? <laughs> Good question, Rob. No, no, I didn't. Uh -huh. um, when I was in grad school, um, I was a peer victim advocate, which is like um, someone that uh, helps helps along with like someone is um, assaulted, and mm -hmm. so go to the hospital and you help counsel them, help comfort them, and help provide kind of resources for them and um the the leader of that who was actually like working for the university was like hey do you want to go to the uh child advocacy center which is like where like kids go to like be investigated or be interviewed or what have you and i was like yeah sure and so i went to a, a team meeting and they were talking about uh, a few different cases and there was um there's like the like a few detectives and like people from like city hall and stuff and like, I liked it, but I was just like, man, I, I, I don't want to really work with kids. Like they're loud, they're noisy. You can't mm -hmm. control them. Like, it's just chaos. So like, right. no, I'm good. But then my first job was working with kids and I was like, and like, once I started doing it, I realized that like playing with them and like the way kids play it, like therapy is like naturally embedded in children's play. And I was like, this is this is awesome yeah and so uh, that that really like really sealed the deal for me mm. tell me more about that uh the, the role that therapy has in play like that that how that occurs mm -hmm. so 
so especially for younger kids, they don't have the, the sociolinguistic structures mm-hmm. in their brain to like say all the complexities in their what they're thinking and feeling, but they can do it through play. They mm-hmm. do it through the symbolism of play. So take, for example, like hide and seek. It's not just hide and seek. They're, they may be learning object permanency, which is, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to be there when I need you? Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to be consistent? Are you going to be the same? Or are you going to, co- do you care enough to come find me? Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you start learning that in the, and like, I'm naturally a skeptical person. We're like, there's no way like this mm-hmm. doesn't No, like they're, they're <laughs> just playing. It doesn't make sense, but uh-huh. it just kept coming up again and again. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, yeah, it keeps coming up. So it's like, now it's, now I don't even question it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. And yeah, I was talking with another parent uh, this week about, um, playing charades and it's like oh it's having fun it's like yeah but they're also learning like interpreting like nonverbal behavior mm. they're also like being mindful about their nonverbal behavior mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah you're playing games but you're also learning a lot too right so. right and i mean with not just playing but i mean i feel like a lot of what kids learn or like just like a lot of how they learn can be you know, it's not all that explicit. You know, it, it, it is a lot of just kind of picking up on things and then reacting to things, seeing how other people react to how we react. And it, it's so, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense that play might be in the same kind of thing, especially like what you're talking about, where, you know, there are multiple people involved and there's, you know, all, all these different all these different parts of their brain that have to get up and going during that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I, I think I said on like one of my TikToks, like uh, Mr. Rogers said, play is mm-hmm. the work of kids. Yeah. And yeah, one hundred percent. Like they're working. It's like you can mm-hmm. call it play, but it's 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 serious stuff too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm a very big Mr. Rogers fan myself. My uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He, he was a little bit <laughs> oh. a, a little bit before my time. I was born in '93, um, but oh, you yeah. know PBS continued to play his stuff for the longest time, and so I got to see a lot of Mr. Rogers and um, I, I think nowadays being able to see him and see what he does, you know, it's um, like just watching it just puts you in a totally different mode. And, you know, he just, mm-hmm. he had a way of communicating with people that I just find so just magical in, in so many different ways. Just that, that the compassion that I feel like people felt from him whenever they would talk to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's like none of us met him personally, but we mm-hmm. knew he genuinely cared. Like there was no mm-hmm. question about it. Absolutely. Which is really amazing. And then um, his, I don't know, his company or what have you does uh, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And like when my kids were younger, we would watch that. And I was like, mm-hmm. they, they have to have like some like child psychologist or developmental expert because they know what they're doing. Like uh-huh. with repetitions and songs yeah. and lessons. It's like, yeah, they know what they're doing. And they genuinely care about getting it right and not Mm -hmm. just necessarily entertaining the kids they can learn as well as have fun right absolutely absolutely uh so let's kind of go into i guess just the um that that parenting aspects and since you you bring that part up so with with working with kids um i guess one of the things is the so when you're when you're thinking about working with a kid you know you're conceptualizing the case all that kind of stuff um, do you also work with families, um, of the kid, parents, all of them? 
Yeah. What, one of my general principles is I try to do as much work with the parents as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a huge, especially the younger they are, the more influence they have on the child's life. And so mm-hmm. it's really important that we're working towards the same goals. So I really try and work with them so they can work with the kids. Because, I mean, I may be in the child's life for three months, a year, well, mm-hmm. if so, longer. But, like, they're going to be parents their entire lives. So, like, if they can have mm-hmm. the tools and skills needed, then I'll be obsolete pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. the child will still have their needs met. So mm. that's the goal. Yeah. So you are, I guess, kind of there to work with the kid and then work with the parent on what you're working with the kid on. And then you slowly kind of fade out and they take it from there. Yep. Exactly. You got it, Rob. Yeah. That, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I, um, I, that the, we were talking a little bit before this, um, and you know, myself, I, I didn't expect to work with kids as much as I do. Um, and one of the things that became abundantly clear very quickly was how important it is to work with parents as well. Um, you know, especially because mm-hmm. one of the things that, um, one of the things I started to notice was that when you work with a kid and then you just leave, you know, the parents can start doing something totally different. And so it's like, you know, that 45 minutes, an hour, whatever you were spending there may not have been as effective as having that parent involved within that process. Um, Mm -hmm. Out of of curiosity, do you ever find cases where, you know, um, there are just, I guess, different wavelengths in terms of like how the parent's seeing things, how the kid's seeing things? And I guess I wonder how you'd navigate cases like that. Yeah, well, yeah, very, very, very slowly because... You have to have to kind of navigate both sides because you have to communicate. I mean, you have to validate and support, you know, the kid or teenager, but also like validate and support the the parents' perspective as well. And those mm-hmm. two can be conflicting with one another. So definitely have to. Um, I really just, I really don't even try and like finagle. It's like I'm just like transparent on my thought process. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you have this perspective, you have this perspective, like how can we come to an agreement or like what's important about this for you? What's important about this for you? Mm. Because oftentimes it, there's, there's this barrier of like fear, especially with the parents. Like they, they hear some sort of message that the child is expressing. And I'm trying to think of an example. Well, like, like a kid's like talking about their trauma or something their parent did mm. and their reaction to it. And then the parents like, well, I was just doing the, I'm doing the best I can, mm-hmm. or oh, you, you know, you're just doing this for attention. And it's like you kind of mm-hmm. got like rewind, like, mom, dad, what are you, what are you hearing when they say this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, they have all these guards up and defenses up because of their own stuff. So having to work, work with them through that too, before mm-hmm. meeting the child's needs. And that, and especially if they've had a lot of, a lot of either trauma or a lot of a lot of pain in their life they where they've had to learn these defenses it, sometimes it can take a or if their sense of like shame is so mm-hmm. strong like working with them is a very very slow process mm. especially when they don't think that they're the client too like oh right. you're just working with my kid mm-hmm. so right uh, i was just going to ask is it common to i guess rec- recommend therapy for for parents who are in that position or is, is it kind of a uh, a shaky subject of like you know, you don't want to be like, hey, maybe you should go to therapy. And then they'd be like, what are you talking about? Why should, why, why would I do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm usually like that. Like I, I, I was like, yeah, I'm usually like, hey, you know, 
therapy for you might be helpful to get this support that you need. Nine times out of 10, they blow me off, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I still gotta like put that out there just in case. Right. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you, you bring up something that I think is really big on, uh, it, it's something I see a lot on TikTok nowadays. Um, because, you know, with a platform like that, people are sharing pretty intimate details of, you know, where, where they're at in their lives. And people talk a lot about, um, or at least a lot of the communities I've connected with are a lot of people who share their own mental health journeys and their own traumas and, and everything along those lines. And one of the really big things I hear from a lot of people, um, whether they be millennials, even, you know, Gen X, etc., is that a lot of people talk about the you know, coming to realize that, you know, perhaps their parents had created more trauma for them than they had previously understood. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, I guess just first and foremost, what do you make of that? Um, you know, this pretty, it seems very, a very largely shared experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely noticed that too. Um, well, I think it's, like a lot of things that happen in childhood, like we just kind of write off as normal because it was mm. like normalized within the family or within the culture that you were in. And so it's like, you never thought to even like question it. It's like, that's just mm -hmm. the way things are. Right. But then TikTok especially has been, it's really good at connecting people who are like you. Yes. And so it starts pointing out these things that are like exactly like, oh yeah, this happened to me. Oh, I do this. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, this is why. Uh -huh. And so it's like, oh, <laughs> is it okay if I go like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, TikTok is great for epiphanies that you didn't want to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. oh, man. So, I mean, within all of that, I feel like it's also like, as uh, you know, you, you brought up defense mechanisms earlier, I feel like part of this too, um, part of like the normalization is not only because, you know, if we don't know any different, why are we going to think any differently? But also, I mean, I feel like there's still also, and this is something I've experienced myself, this, um, this tendency to almost idealize our parents as a way of kind of protecting ourselves and all of that, that, well, my parents wouldn't have done anything wrong you know clearly you know, that they they must have been trying to to help me in some kind of way i must be mistaken about this i there, there yeah there's no way that anything wrong could have happened here um i, I guess well do, do you what well, what do you what do you think about that uh, as like a defense mechanism yeah idealization mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's it can be a very painful reality to realize that they missed they missed a lot. Of, they missed some things or a lot of things. Something that was really important mm -hmm. to you that they simply missed that you didn't get these needs met because of them, and that you had no control over this. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very bitter pill to swallow, especially if you really looked up to your parents, mm -hmm. or if you think that this idealization is like rooted in like respect or loyalty. Then it can be really, really difficult. Because, mm -hmm. like, on one hand, it's important to acknowledge what you've been through and the impact it's had on you, mm -hmm. but also, you know, it's due to their lack of meeting those needs, and and so it's important to acknowledge that. Yeah, absolutely. It can be really painful. It can be. 
It can be. And one of the things you, you I love that you mentioned the idea of like respect and loyalty, because um, I know that's one thing that, that people can sometimes get caught with is that especially for people who have had intact families their entire lives, um, you know, sometimes they say, well, you know, some people didn't have a dad around or they didn't have a mom around or, you know, some people are raised by their grandparents or in foster care, you know, so I'm I consider myself lucky that I had these parents. And, and so I wonder if can those two things coexist? The the great the gratitude for some things and also the constructive part of like, I really wish that things would have been better. And I, I feel like I, in ways I deserved a little bit better. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point, Rob. Like both of those things can coexist. Like one doesn't cancel out the other because they might have missed on certain important aspects in your life doesn't mean that they weren't great parents and that they loved you and did the best they could. Like all of that can be together. It mm. it really complicates things, but mm. absolutely 100%. Mm. Awesome. Uh so within um cuz I mean you you work a lot with with parents, you work a lot with kids, so I would love to, I guess, just tap into some of your expertise on everything. So when you're looking at, I guess, when, when you're looking at, at parenting styles and just ways of parenting that, you know, are research-backed, are, you know, tend to be more effective than others, what kinds of things do you typically see in these more effective parenting styles? So I guess if you were to, like, label or categorize them, um, it's called like authoritative parenting. Um, John Gottman refers to it as like emotional coaching. Mm. So you're able to understand your child's developmental needs because meeting a three-year-old's needs is different than taking care of a 13-year-old. Mm. And so you, the ways you respond to them need to meet them where they're at with that. On top of having a high degree of control, understanding what's best for them in those moments but also being responsive and flexible when some when when plans need to change or if they, if it's too much for the kid being able to pull back and listen to them or if they're doing really well pushing even harder mm. so it's it's really being flexible so i guess the the three things i i i tell parents is being attentive attuned and responsive mm. okay but would you mind kind of breaking those down for us? For, for sure. One, you need to pay attention to them. So you mm -hmm. can't just be on your phone or doing your own thing. Like you need to be, you need to be understanding what they're going through and actually mm -hmm. being aware of it, being attuned, being attuned is again, understanding, being in harmony with them, mm -hmm. understanding what they're going through in those specific moments are like, Oh, we're going to be doing this situation. So they often, so like if the kid's like very anxious, I understand that they need, I may need to talk to them beforehand about what to expect to help decrease the anxiety instead of, you know, putting out fires when they get there and they're, they're mm -hmm. running around and then being responsive again. So like if you're pushing them too hard and they're, you know, they're starting to tantrum or they're starting to fight and kick or yell or, or shut down, like, okay, this is too much. I'm going to pull it back a little bit, help mm -hmm. them regroup help them regulate mm -hmm. and so being able to like be flexible in those in those moments mm, okay and i can i guess kind of hear the continuum of, uh, the continuum of all of it you know being able to notice it react to it effectively and then adjust accordingly as we're going along 
Yeah, absolutely. Which is extremely difficult for parents because yeah, yeah. oftentimes there's more than one kid. Mm-hmm. Parents often are tired and there's lots of other things to navigate to at the right. same time as well as your kid. So, right. so yeah, it, it, it's, it's a balancing process. Absolutely. 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 Well, what would you say, I guess, to the parents who, um, who are maybe really aware of, you know, I don't, you know, like, like perhaps the people who have had, uh, rougher childhoods themselves. And they're like, well, I want to pass this on to my kid and, or just parents in general who are just really worried about the process of going into this, uh, of having a kid and they might be really scared about all these different things. What, what advice do you think you would give to them in trying to navigate this process? Yeah. Excellent question, Rob. You must be a great therapist. (laughs) I appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. But, but, you know, the the biggest thing that I see is parents can be really hard on themselves, Mm. especially like when starting off because they're really aware of what they shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. And so when they start trying to do the things that are, are better, it's extremely difficult. So sometimes you might might automatically respond the way you used to, or you're just really aware of, of your gaps mm-hmm. and they can be really hard on themselves instead of noticing that and promising to do better next time, being mm-hmm. gentle with themselves, forgiving themselves. That's, that's the hardest person to forgive is, is yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's really what I try to emphasize. Yeah. I, I love that. Cause I mean, I, I feel like we can just as we can idealize our own parents, we can sometimes idealize ourselves and, that we are supposed yeah. to be perfect. yeah absolutely oh sorry what are you gonna say no, I, that, that's it that, that, that we're supposed to oh, be no, no, like, well. oh, like, oh, no, you get me <laughs> on the soapbox here um but no 100 i mean even as like a therapist like i'm like oh i gotta be perfect i got mm-hmm. to i yes. no mistakes like but that's I, i'm not i'm not here to help people be perfect i'm here to help mm-hmm. people be human and that's accepting your flaws and vulnerabilities your you know the the ickier parts of yourself Mm. that's that's also folded into this too yeah and i i think i'm gonna that that, that'll be a big thing i'm trying to take away from this as well because i do i'm still generally pretty new into the therapy field and so i do get so stressed out like when i meet new clients it is like the weight of the world is on my shoulders and like i don't want to like mm. you know i, I want to make them i want to make sure that they're comfortable i want to also make sure i get the information i want to ask the right questions and i want to i want to it's it, it can be so much and it can flood our minds so much to the point where we can't be as effective as we want to be which i assume could also be the same kind of thing with with being a parent that we're so we're looking out so much for all the all of the wrong things and all the things that we're doing wrong that we can you know miss these valuable moments with our kids as well Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, yeah. I mean, as humans, we have a, a negative bias. So we notice we're, it's much easier for us to notice the negatives. And it's a lot harder for us to notice the positives. But it's incredibly important to hold on to those. Mm-hmm. Because that's incredibly important as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in part, you know, mistakes are also, you know, they are a natural and I think also kind of important part of being able to grow up. You know, that being able to mm-hmm. recognize mistakes and being able to recognize how people respond when they make mistakes. 100%. Yeah. Being able to have that humility to like realize like, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I, I heard it the other day. Uh, the sound, what, what is the sound learning makes? Hmm. Oops. Oh, I like that. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm taking yeah, that's, that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, was like, I heard that. I was like, I'm putting that in my back pocket. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. Um, I, I heard somebody speak um, before. I, I'm trying to remember where it was. I, I think it was during like a, uh, like a trauma conference or something. Um, and they had mentioned that uh, I think being a good parent was it was about like being a good parent like 40% of the time or something like that. I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've heard that, that number before, yeah. if you remember what it is exactly. Yeah. So, um, so to, in order to build a secure attachment, mm-hmm. uh, parents need to respond to their children's emotional needs accurately 30% of the time, 30 to 33% of the time. That's it. Mm-hmm. 30, 33, one, one out of every three times you need to be accurate with your responses, man. And, and so, so on the, on the one side, it's like, Oh, I can take some of the pressure off of me uh-huh. <laughs> on the other side. If you have an, in- <laughs> if you have an insecure attachment, uh-huh. like, well, what does that mean for your childhood and the way your parents responded? So. Right. Oh man. That is a, that is a hell of a double-edged sword. <laughs> I know. I wow. Uh, so um, I, I do want to also ask a little bit because I know that there's, when we're talking about parenting, there's always a debate about the best ways of parenting, and there will forever be a debate about the best ways to parent. And one of the things that I see people arguing about a lot right now is um, about gentle parenting. Um, and does gentle parenting work? And um, I, I guess I wonder from your perspective first and foremost you know what you think of gentle parenting and then i guess we can get into some more like the misconceptions after that point yeah it's it's funny that you mentioned that because i'm not familiar with like gentle parenting i've tried to look it up a few Mm. times and it doesn't seem like it's like a like like a tried and true like approach that's like coming out of some like Mm -hmm. institute or whatever it's just kind of like you know, the public has like put a label on like gentle parenting, but like mm-hmm. I've heard about like some of the aspects and it's like, oh yeah, like that, that, that's what I do. Like, mm-hmm. is that, do I, do I practice gentle parenting? <laughs> I, I guess, like didn't realize mm-hmm. it, it was named something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm not sure uh, exactly where the terminology came from. My understanding of it, um, we had uh, a guest on um, earlier in the podcast history, uh, Gabriel Hannans, who's really awesome. Um, and he uh, does a lot of things with parenting. And I think uh, the way that he equated it essentially to the, uh, the authoritative parenting, um, that it's, mm. it's yeah. most, most closely resembling that. I don't know if there's more to it, if somebody wrote a book on it and that's, you know, they had a lot into it, but um, that's, I think, essentially what they're, what they're talking about with gentle parenting. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. authoritative parenting, it, it, I know you talked a bit about that before, and it seems like a, it's a pretty effective and that is a pretty tried and true way of going about things yeah 100 percent um because ideally what you're trying to do is like you're not just trying to like raise a child you're trying to build an adult mm. so having that goal in mind you're helping them to develop these critical thinking skills these problem solving skills being able to connect and compromise with one another and build relationships mm. and i mean that starts from I mean, even before day one, right. it, I mean, it, it, it starts before you even were thought of being born. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just having that idea in mind and, and that's always the goal. It's just going to look at differently in different developmental stages. Mm, right. It, it's, it's, 
yeah, again, like like you mentioned, it's more of just like that guiding. You know, we are attempting to build and help that person build, um, build themselves in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah, some some people refer to it as like you're not an engineer trying to mold this child out of mm. clay. What you're trying to do, what what how you should look at it is like being like a shepherd and providing that safe environment that will provide for all of their needs and helping mm. them explore the space so they can grow and develop into who they were meant to be, not who you want them to be. Mm. Right. I, I like that. I, I think it's a really meaningful way of putting it. Um, what I guess are some of the misconceptions that you, you feel might exist out there um, about this style of parenting? You know, people feeling like it just won't work, it, you know, not for my kid, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear that. Or it's like, oh, I think one of the, or maybe kind of the feedback I get from the parents I work with is like, oh, like you just want me to like let them get away with murder yeah. or like, you know, there's no consequences. Like, no, absolutely. There should be consequences. But, you know, when you, you know, rain down on them, they're mm-hmm. shutting down. They're not, they're not able to process and problem solve. They're just trying to figure out what you, what you want in mm-hmm. order to make the stop. Right. And so it, it's, Again, it's helping them to, to develop how to connect, how to regulate, how to think through what happened, what was their responsibility to it, and how to do better next time. Mm-hmm. Right. It, which, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're talking more about, you know, not so much focusing on what the consequence should be, but focusing more on, like, what is the lesson to be learned here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so they've been doing meta analyses on corporal punishment and spanking for it's the 60s, so mm. over 60 years now. And it's 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 been shown time and time again to be good for one thing and one thing only. Do you know what that is, Rob? What's that? Immediate compliance. Mm-hmm. It works to get them to do what you ask them to do. But there's a lot of other negative consequences. Like mm-hmm. they don't internalize these moral standards. They be they are often in domestic violence relationships, increased substance use, increased mental health issues. Mm-hmm. The list goes on and on and on. But it works because they they then comply. They're very compliant and obedient. But mm-hmm. that's it. They learn to follow rules. They don't internalize them. Right, right. I, I hear that. I mean, and it's. You know, I feel like it also just in talking about the trauma aspect of things, it I feel like it almost turns the parent more so into like an aversive stimuli rather than someone that you can go to for guidance and for support. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then that stems into later adulthood where these relationships being vulnerable is Mm. either it's unacceptable. It's a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. and then relationships suffer after that yeah you're not able to be emotionally intimate and connected with one another it's hard to trust somebody else mm. right yeah I, I appreciate that perspective a lot um and, and again i mean just to, to bring this back to tiktok again it's one of the things that i hear a lot of people talk about and um you know the way that they express themselves and the way that they um, continue to exist after uh, after a, a more traumatic style of parenting. Um, so I guess in in that this might seem like a kind of big question, um, 
but I, I, I talk to a lot of people on TikTok who ask about how to, um, you know, following trauma, how do we connect more with those emotional parts of us, of ourselves? How do we address some of the attachment wounds? How do we address those, those kinds of things? Um, this, this does feel like it's leading up to be a very big question. Um, <laughs> how, how do you, I guess, how can people begin to do a little bit of that healing? You know, what do you feel like are some, some places where people can start, um, you know, within mm -hmm. a therapeutic setting? Within, so I, I, I love Bruce Perry's neuro sequential model and he goes by the three R's. So, mm -hmm. and it, and it, it goes from like brain development. So it's regulate, relate and reason. And so you want to start by regulating your body, helping getting, you know, your, your body and your nervous system in harmony with one another, your, your brakes and your, your gas are, mm -hmm. are working together instead of all gas, no brakes or all brakes, mm -hmm. no gas. Um, so making sure those are online are, I I've heard of like having like a race car engine and bicycle brakes. Mm. Um, I like that. So, so making, yeah. So, so yeah. So making sure you're, you know, you're, you're breathing, you're eating, you're sleeping well. And then the second one is relate. And that has to do with like your midbrain and limbic system. And that is having social connections. And it doesn't necessarily mean having to talk about all the emotions, but having a good relationship with somebody mm -hmm. being on the same wavelength as them. And then the third is reason, which is like problem solving mm. because when, when we are dysregulated, our, our thinking brain shuts off as a way to help us protect ourselves and survive. Mm. And so if you can get that online, then problem solving will start be start being folded into the mix too. Oh. You'll be able to think more clearly. Yeah. Huh? Do all of those, do those come in like a certain order? Like, is there a way that like when yeah. working through trauma, they yeah. come in a certain order? Yeah. Regulate, relate, reason, same. Yeah. So like, right. Re regulates like brainstem, uh, cerebellum, like diencephalon. Mm -hmm. And then relate is like midbrain limbic system. And then reason is like your cortex, your, your frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. And so, so like kind of like bottom up processing mm -hmm. or somatic therapy. Right. So that, that makes a lot of sense. That's why I like, yeah. So like, like with teenagers, oftentimes I, I think the biggest coping skill that I hear from most of them is like music. Mm -hmm. That is rhythmic regulation. They're singing, they're dancing. You got to be in this coordinated, connected movement, um, are, are going for walks, breathing. These are all rhythmic regulating movements. Hmm. I like that. And, and I, I agree. I always hear kids talk about music being like the one of the one of the really primary kinds of coping skills. Um, I, I feel like there's also there's a big application in what you're talking about to, you know, kind of going back to, you know, parenting a dysregulated kid um, that sometimes, you know, I, I, I like you were like you were talking about sometimes when people are trying to regulate their dysregulated kid or they're trying to provide consequences, whatever it might be, they can sometimes pile things on and pile things on but it kind of occurs to me that when somebody's dysregulated they are so separated from that part of their brain that can do that that can do what their parents are asking them to do yeah no yeah they're not they're not thinking step by step like oh you know i did this so i'm gonna do this this next time it's like just 
I'm just trying to figure out what you want me to do so I can do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's not like, yeah, you know, mm. how did how did I get here in the first place? Uh-huh. What what happened? What was my role in this, and how can I respond right. differently? It's like, just just tell me what to do so I can do it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I I mean, I, I feel like I'm. <laughs> bouncing to side to side on this Uh, but i guess in in situations like that how can parents respond because i know sometimes you know kids can become dysregulated in ways that are like legitimately really difficult to kind of work through and it can be very overwhelming for parents what can people to what can people do generally speaking to try to address those situations in order to hopefully get their kid to a point where now we can talk about what was the lesson here and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. First thing is like check yourself because if you're dysregulated and you're coming at mm-hmm. them, you know they're they're reading your body language because again like they don't necessarily have all of the the social structures in the brain to like in, interpret all this stuff. They're like, right. oh, dad is mad, mm-hmm. and it's like. So then they start going into like fight, flight, freezer, fawn, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, what do I got to do? Like they, their defenses start flaring up, and so you really need to be mindful about how, how it's impacted you. Mm-hmm. Try to be medium chill. Try to be a robot, emotionless. Walk up to them. Really be mindful of your body language. Try and meet them either at their eye level or like below, because like a lot of times, like you know, mm. I mean. Adults, you might you might not feel like you're a big person, but to these these mm-hmm. little people, like you're just towering over them, and oh, you're mad, like you're this giant coming to crush you, crush right. them, and so, you know, really being mindful of that, softening your voice, getting on their level. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, so like the three questions I kind of go through is like, what is the function of this behavior? Mm-hmm. What, what lesson do I want to teach and how do I best teach it? Mm-hmm. And, and really trying to not, not lecture, try and be as short and sweet as possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, the acronym I use is ACT, A-C-T, uh, acknowledge the feeling or wish, communicate the rule or limit, and then target the acceptable um, mm-hmm. alternative. So... I'm trying I'm trying to think of of an example. So maybe a kid who, perhaps a, a kid who didn't get what they want. I know that's a really common situation. So they wanted mm-hmm. something, they didn't get that, and they're becoming super dysregulated at home. You know, maybe yelling, throwing things. Just generally, they are they're a bit of a mess right now. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. So again, body language, but. Um, so it's like, you're really, you're really frustrated. You didn't get that thing. Mm. That's okay. But we can't get that right now. Mm. So how about you need to use your inside voice or big boy voice or Mm. let's go for a walk. Let's, let's blow some bubbles. Let's play with balloons, Mm. whatever, whatever you kind of know, what will help them redirect them. Mm. And then when they're able to be calm, come back to it, ideally less than 30 minutes, after that has occurred and then have more of a discussion. Mm. I, I like that strategy. I especially love the, the redirection. Um, you know, let, let's try to get our focus in a different direction rather than the thing that's making you mad. Uh, I feel like that, that adds up. That makes a lot of sense. 
in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for, for parents like who have really done kind of the, the strict disciplinarian authoritarian, just like, do as I say. Right. They're oftentimes their kids aren't going to immediately respond to this approach. They're going to continue right. to keep doing that, but you, you need to trust the process and continue to keep doing it. And once they realize like that, dad's not going to get mad. I'm going to be safe even though I'm doing this, mm. like they'll follow suit too. Right. They don't need to go into fight or flight anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Like we can have a calm, rational discussion about mm -hmm. this. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Um, and, which I mean, again, you know, when we talk about trying to help a, uh, help a kid to eventually become an adult, I, you know, having those, having those conversations, I feel like can be, can be very, very helpful. Um, 100%. And, and I can say one more thing. Absolutely. It's also important to realize that, that they're kids too. Like yes. sometimes when you're seven, like might've been a long day, like whatever you try to do, they're not going to be rational and they're mm -hmm. just going to be, you know, <laughs> off the chain. Yes. And that's okay too. Cause that's, mm -hmm. that's developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so acknowledging that as well, no matter what you do, no matter what you pull out of your bag of tricks, mm -hmm. some days you're the dog, some days you're the fire hydrant and you mm -hmm. just got to, you know, learn from it and figure out what you'll do next. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I mean, I know e even us as adults, sometimes, you know, we can have those rough days and we come home and oh, we, yeah. we get in a Facebook argument or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The re reason I went viral is because or a couple weeks ago, because I was so mad at this mom. I was just like, uh -huh. I just, I mean, I don't like, this is like as mad as I get. Or as uh -huh. I mean, it was just like, I just kind of just like, this is what happened. Uh -huh. Like, oh, dang, like <laughs> millions of people saw that. Like, that was really just directed towards one person. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, man. The, the things that'll go viral, it'll, it, it'll catch you off guard sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so uh, I do want to um, swing back around to just the, the trauma discussion as well. Um, so in, in working with trauma, um, you know, there. I guess everybody can kind of be on their own different levels and where they're ready to start working and, and how they are, uh, how they're hoping to proceed with things. Um, is there a way that you kind of determine where somebody is at, you know, what they can tolerate, you know, but before you get started, or I guess as you're getting started, is there a way that that conversation kind of takes place, how people, you know, go into therapy uh, to, to work through trauma? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I follow what's called like the arc model. I don't know if you had seen that mm -hmm. on some of like my videos, but like, mm -hmm. think of like a pyramid or a house, like the foundation of this is attachment. They mm -hmm. need to have a safe haven, a place where they can feel like they can trust somebody and be able to fall apart or, or, or just show you know, the bad parts of themselves, their shadow mm. side. Mm. And so having a caregiver that they know will be able to be for that, be there for them to help pick up those pieces. I mean, that is, that is the bedrock. Cause mm. when you, if you try to process trauma and they don't feel safer, they don't have someone that where they, they feel loved. It, it's almost like consciously or subconsciously, like they know, like I can't go there because if I do that, like, I got to look out for myself. I can't mm -hmm. do this. I, like, I can't go through this 
and protect myself at the same time. So mm. you have to choose one or the other. Like, well, you're going to protect yourself. So right. like, just kind of keep hitting a roadblock. So, so making sure like that attachment piece is the foundation mm. and then focusing on regulation skills and capacities. Again, working with coping skills, helping them identify feelings and emotions, helping mm -hmm. them problem solve and express their unmet needs. And then the next part, if, when you're working with kids, is competency. So helping them uh, get back to their developmental levels, helping them with uh, developing an identity, helping mm -hmm. them yeah, have stronger social connections and supports. And then ultimately at the kind of top of the pyramid is integrating this trauma into, into their lives. Mm. Hmm. What is what does integration look like? What, what is the I guess ideal type of situation? I I refer to it as kind of like understanding like that is a part of your life. It's neither good nor bad. It simply mm -hmm. is what it is. And so, remembering the past but letting go of the pain. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I guess like when you use the term like integration, like integrating it into your story, you know, it's not, yeah. um, it's not the whole story, but I guess it's just, it's, it's a chapter in that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's concepts. I mean, so if you go through like one trauma, it, it can kind of go through, there's three different ways it can go. One, it can be like, you can go through like resiliency, which is like trauma happens and mm -hmm. kind of normal, same as, and then you, you have trauma and then, you know, you get worse, that's post-traumatic stress, but there's also mm -hmm. post-traumatic growth where something, right. a trauma happens and it actually, you grow from it and you develop. Mm. And so, so being able, you, I mean, you can absolutely do that too. Mm. Yeah. I, I hear that. And it's, I find it so interesting how, um, how people respond differently to trauma and how, you know, I, I've been asked before, you know, why does PTSD happen to some people and not to other people? Um, and it's, that's a typical, a difficult question, at least it has been for me to, to find a good answer to. I don't know if you have, uh, have more insight into that and, and what sets up the trajectory for how this happens following a trauma. Mm -hmm. Have you, well, I guess one, I mean, I follow like the biopsychosocial model. So mm -hmm. like there might be differences in their physiology, like the HPA mm. axis, the, what is it? Hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal glands, Nailed like it. just kind of. You know, yeah, the, yeah, thank you. The, the <laughs> hormones and everything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then psychology, the way they were raised, how they inherently see the world, and then their social environment, and how mm. um, how that weather either encourages or discourages how they make meaning of of what's happened. Mm. Um, but ha have you have you heard of uh, paces? Like, do you, do you know what aces are? Like adverse childhood experiences? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, do you know, have you heard of Paces? Uh, it, I feel like it sounds familiar, but probably just because it sounds like Aces. So no, I I know. I mean, it's, it's really marketing. They call it uh, protective and compensatory uh, childhood experiences. And huh. so there's research in 2019 that's come out of Oklahoma State that's identified, I think, like, I think they've narrowed it down to 10. Mm -hmm. Um they call it like the antidote to aces, which is like, cause like they, they asked that exact same question. Like how come one kid could have seven aces and, mm -hmm. you know, go through these horrible experiences and, you know, 
have all these negative outcomes and how could someone else with the same experiences be fine or even better mm-hmm. it's like so they've kind of done that and i met, i've done a video on it um mm-hmm. and, but some of them they're there's some of them are easy to take for granted but then like mm-hmm. when when you look at them it's like oh yeah these can be really important like one of them is like having a trusted adult outside of the home mm-hmm. having like a uh, physical activity feeling like uh go i think going to community events or feeling connected to your community having one best friend mm-hmm. those things are incredibly important yeah yeah and i like the way that you kind of broke it down across the uh across the different areas i, I feel like that makes it easier to also be able to understand um you know that we're looking for the biological the psychological and the social aspects of, of things that can that can help to build some of that resiliency um you know and, and of course to loop all this in with one another, parents can also serve in that role as well. You know, that they can be very Absolutely. protective. They can be that safety net. They can be that person to, to go to when, when needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can definitely help shape all of those things, especially the, their psychology and their social environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, it has been wonderful, wonderful having you on. Um, I have yeah. just, uh, one more question before, uh, before we, we let you go. So given that, you know, you are a, a therapist, I really, really just want to know, um, is there anything that you wish you would have known earlier in your therapy career, earlier in working in mental health, that if you could go back in time, you feel like you would have liked to have you would like to be able to tell that past version of you. I really, and I, I say this to, to newer therapists all the time, like get into therapy. Mm. Uh, whether you think you need it or not, you are going to be one, I mean, most likely experiencing vicarious trauma, but two, mm. the, the work that you do is directly correlates to how much like emotional discomfort you can tolerate. How can you sit with someone mm-hmm. else's darkness? If you, if you can't sit with your own and mm-hmm. so like you won't be able to go to that depth if they hit that depth and you can't allow them to go any further they're going to stay right there right and so you're going to and a huge part i think like 40 percent of therapeutic change is attributed to mm-hmm. the therapeutic relationship and so if you're not getting that full 40 percent or like a huge chunk of what you can influence like well they're not going to mm-hmm. change as much as they could if you hadn't done the work. So you got to right. do the work. I wish I wish people that told me to do that sooner. Uh-huh. That is invaluable advice, and I I'm yeah. so happy yeah. that you said that. Um, yeah. And also the the forty percent of the of the therapeutic relationship again, it's one of those double edged swords where it takes a lot of pressure off of us as clinicians. Like, oh, okay, we if we're doing a good job of being present, being here for our clients, that's good. But also, why was this therapist I had not not very great at, at being a therapist for me? Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I, uh, yeah. Joshua Terhune, I appreciate you so much for taking the time out of your busy day um, to come on here and talk with us. Um, so, uh, yeah, last thing, uh, anything you would like to plug? Uh, where can people find you? All those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm I'm still relatively new to TikTok, uh, but I think my handle is like Kintsugi Counseling, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, which is an interesting story behind that, but uh, underscore counseling. Um, uh, I think I'm also on YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, but I haven't 
done much there yet. Um, my website, uh, joshuaterhunecounseling.com. I provide counseling and family and parenting coaching. I will be expanding towards like uh, creating some some parenting groups so more people can support one another as well as I can help support them, help create a, a community where we can all help one another. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking to, uh, you know, build my friendship with you, Rob, and oh, yeah. and continue to, you know, you know, help help the world become a better place. Absolutely, I look I look forward to it. It's it's very apparent that there is a lot I can learn from you. So, uh, I very much look forward to that. <laughs> and 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 likewise, I you know I love I love working with kids because I learn from them too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, we learn something every day. Uh, Absolutely, one hundred percent. Joshua Terhune, LMHC. Thank you so much for coming on to uh, the podcast, Um, and all of you listening at home, either live or on the podcast streaming service later on. Thank you so much for listening to the Please Stay Inside podcast. My name is Rob. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other, and we'll talk with you next time.